in our study of Luke. And we're going to be moving on to chapter 7. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 7 and the story of a centurion and his faith. So let's jump right in and start in chapter 7 of Luke, verse 1. It says this, Now when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you that your word encourages us to live a life of faith. I pray that it was, as we study what that means and as we study what it looks like to be servants as well as to be faithful followers of you, that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds, help us to hear what you have to say and help any other things to just fall by the wayside. We want you and you alone. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. So this passage deals with kind of a familiar story to a lot of us, this centurion that has a beloved servant who is ailing. In Matthew, it talks about him being paralyzed, and this centurion desires for his servant to be made whole again, to be healed. He loves this servant and doesn't want to see him die or even just be in pain or suffering. And so there are many parallels that can be drawn throughout this account on how we are to seek the Lord and how we he ultimately finds us, how he ultimately gets us, and, and what that response and that interaction is. The first thing that we want to look at here is the, this desire that the centurion had for healing. Centurions are mentioned four times in the New Testament. Uh, one of the times is uh, a centurion claiming Jesus to be the Son of God while Jesus is on the cross, and you can find that in Matthew 27, uh, verse 54 specifically. Another is Cornelius, who was a centurion who uh, was the first Gentile to be converted and baptized in the, in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And we find that in Acts chapter 10. Um, Julius was a centurion who befriended Paul during his trip to Rome and helped him along that journey to Rome. And you can read that story in Acts 27. And then we have this centurion here in Luke chapter 7, also in Matthew, where we have this centurion. There isn't a name given or anything, but this centurion that loves his servant, that desires for him to be saved, and who has great faith. Um, it's worth noting that uh, the Jewish people would have looked at centurions as, as again, a hated group, or at the very least, a disliked group of, of people, because A, they weren't Jewish, so that was a big deal. Uh, Jews kind of hung out with Jews. Uh, but also, they, they would have been doing the work of Rome, which the Jews viewed Rome as an oppressor. 
uh, someone who, a group of people who came in and, and put them under their thumb. And, and so a, a Roman centurion was not only non-Jewish, but he was also working for, quote-unquote, the enemy. Um, and so Jews didn't really have many good things to say about centurions. And yet the centurion here in this story is a bit of a special case because he obviously had good favor with the Jews. And we'll talk about that more in detail in just a minute. But he's kind of a special case because of the favors that they do for him and things like that. And so he has this servant, we would call them a slave, uh, whom he loved or, or at least cared for. It meant This servant meant a lot to him. And this could mean a couple things. It could mean that he cared about the person, which is certainly the language that we see here. It's certainly the, the language that we get from Scripture is that he cares about the person, not just the servant aspect of things. But it is possible that he was just a slave owner who cared more about his property. It's just not likely given the language that we see here. Either way, what, when he heard about Jesus... When he learns about Jesus, he immediately decides to send his, uh, these religious elders, these Jewish elders, to go talk to Jesus and convince Jesus to come. He says in verse 3, so, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews, of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the, the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. There's this idea of of a desire, not just a desire, but there's pleading, there's sending and, and begging him, begging Jesus earnestly that he should come. There's this idea of desperation for Jesus to come and to heal and to serve and to, to really make this, this servant better so that the person whom this centurion loves or care for, cared for would be uh, healed. And we see this this juxtaposition here of, of the difference between what men see as justification for God to work miracles and what God sees, uh, uh, we'll talk about in a minute, what God sees as a justification for him to work in someone's life. And so hearing about Jesus, the centurion sends this, this delegation of, of religious elders to go talk to Jesus. And there's a few different reasons for that. One is that they're, they're Jewish and he's not. And so he knows that Jesus being a Jew and, and a rabbi at that um, may or may not interact with him as a Roman uh, soldier, citizen, uh, non-Jew, as it were. And so he sends these Jewish elders to go talk to Jesus. Um, which is what a lot of us do even in this world. We go to our religious elders, we go to the pastors or the elders of the church, and we, we ask them to help us. We, we ask for prayer, we ask for things that we may or may not need, and, and we, we desire to see them uh, serving or praying for us. And so it's not a strange thing that he would have, being non-Jewish, he would have gone to the Jewish elders and, and had them go speak on his behalf. And there are two things really to note about this Roman centurion and sending the Jews to talk to Jesus. The first thing is, as we mentioned before, uh, Jews were not particularly fond of Roman soldiers. And so it's significant that they thought well enough about this man to go to Jesus at all and talk to him about coming to serve this Roman centurion. And, and on top of that fact, they also didn't really like Jesus. We have to remember that at this time, they, one day they kind of liked the guy. The next day he was being accused of blasphemy and they were ready to stone him to death. 
they, they didn't really know what to do with Jesus. And so when this centurion says, hey, I want you to go talk to Jesus for me, there could have been a little bit of hesitation because they don't like the Romans in particular, and they don't really like Jesus, and so they're doing a favor for someone they don't really like to someone they don't really like, and that could cause problems. The biggest indication that we have here is that because of his favor towards the Jews, the things that he did for the Jewish nation, um, because of that, they, they were willing to try and gain even more favor from this uh, Roman centurion uh, to see if they could get even more. And so this is a big deal that they're going to Jesus to talk on his behalf. And then secondly, the centurion was trying to get Jesus to come, and he did what a lot of people do by, by sending the religious leaders. He, he, he wanted them to act on his behalf. And, and uh, that's not necessarily, no, that's not right. We have a direct link to Jesus. And, and there is some, it's interesting because we see the, the, the weird humility position that he has with Jesus where we know that he could have gone to Jesus and talked to Jesus openly. And yet he sent these religious leaders because he wanted to do it the right way. And there's, there's honor in that. And it's interesting to see specifically these Jewish leaders, their appeal to Jesus on the behalf of the centurion. Because they appealed to Jesus' sense of love for his nation or love for even the, his people, the, the Jews, the religion maybe uh, is a good way to put it. They appealed to this idea of, well, Jesus, you should do this because this guy is good to us, the Jews. Um, this is works-based faith. That's all this is. This, is. this is the tit for tat, you do this, I do this type of faith. It's God, if, if you do this, then I will act like that. Um, if you do that, then I'll stop doing this. And it's this idea of if I, if I give you a bone, you throw me a bone. And, and oftentimes we fall into that trap of thinking that that's what faith is, is me giving up one thing so that God gives me another. And that's not true faith. And, and this faith that they're giving um, wasn't true faith. They're basically saying to Jesus, look, this guy is a good guy. He, he treats us with respect. He, he's given us a synagogue. He does us a good thing. He does some good things for the nation. Go ahead, throw him a bone so that we get better uh, perks uh, later on down the road. He gets off our back. You just do your thing. Do us a solid here, Jesus. And there's that idea of because he did this, you should really heal this servant of his. They were asking to do something that was based on a man's goodness. What, what that man was qualified or justified or made righteous to do. And Romans 3 is an interesting passage when we, when, in regarding this. Turn to Romans chapter 3 with me. And look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 3. It says this, uh, What then? Are we better than they? No, no, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is no, none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have, all t they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Paul is telling us here that there are now no, there's no one who does any good. 
Um, there's, and so it's impossible to earn favor in the sight of God, regardless of all the moral gifts that this centurion or you and I may give to the church or our service to the church. That, it, that doesn't uh, qualify us for salvation. That doesn't qualify us for healing, as it were. It doesn't qualify us for anything. We do not deserve, and he's going to actually use that word, we do not deserve anything. Um, and so, so for the Jews, the religious Jews, to be using that as a, as a pull on Jesus um, was misguided because that is not something that matters as far as our goodness versus our not goodness. Um, he saves and looks upon, as, as we've talked about in the past, he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. There is no favoritism in the world, world of God, in God's world. It is, you are either saved and justified by faith, or you are not. And so, it's just, it's curious to me that the Jewish leaders would be the ones that are presenting this, faith, this works-based faith that Jesus should then react to. And so, the, the centurion himself actually has a better way of wanting to do things. In verse 6, it says, then Jesus went with them, which is curious enough anyway, because Jesus is obviously ready to go and and work in this guy's life. So the works thing didn't hurt, <laughs> but, but I think that there was something more going on. And it says, and when he, this was in verse six, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. It seems as though this centurion knew that there are none good, as Paul says, and, and in his humility, he wanted to clarify the request that was being given, that was being presented to Jesus. There was, there was maybe an understanding of like, okay, I don't want Jesus to think that it's my goodness or that I'm trying to earn my way into, this, into his favor. I want him to understand that I trust him regardless. And so he sends these friends to Jesus to go and talk. This is, this is where he, the centurion, shows faith that is not based on his works, but based on his belief of who Jesus is. He, actually, he acknowledges who he, the centurion, is, or maybe, maybe a better way to say who he isn't, and, and, and proclaims or glorifies Jesus Christ by saying, you are able to do this. You are Jesus Christ, and I trust you. I have faith in you. He knows that all Jesus had to do was say the word, and his beloved servant would be healed. It was a matter of just opening his mouth. And this is what faith in Christ looks like practically. This is what it looks like to be, to have faith in Jesus Christ on a very practical level and not on a workspace level and not on a trying to earn it level. It's knowing that he is powerful enough to only speak a word and anything can and will be done that he speaks. We see it in Genesis with the creation of the universe. Jesus was there. We know that through before Abraham was, I am, and also through in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you have that in John <coughs> chapter 1 there. We know that all Jesus has to do is speak a word, and in his power he is able to make it happen. 
And the centurion was saying that as well. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. We have the same confidence in Christ's power that the centurion did. We can have that. We can understand that Jesus Christ controls everything by the word and upholds everything by the word of his power. He has been given dominion over everything. You see, the centurion understood intimately the way the authority worked and knew that Jesus had all the authority within his word to create the universe and to heal whomever he wanted to heal, or to, uh, to deal with whatever he wanted to deal with, or to command the oceans to recede, and they would, or command the angels to come down, and they would. And there's this idea that the centurion understood that because of his military position. A centurion would have been in charge of a hundred people. Not a lot of people, but a hundred people all the same. Not a lot of us are in charge of a hundred. And so the centurion had a lot of power. And he was able to look at one person and say, go do this, and it would go and get done. And he would say to another person, do that, and it would happen. And so this centurion understands that that is how God works as well. That is how Jesus Christ works as well. And that is what happens to us when we begin to see the sovereignty of God. We understand that he is in control and he tells us what to do and we do it. Or he is in control and he tells our bodies to heal and they heal. He is in control of everything, not just aspects, not just bits and pieces. Or he's not just in charge of the, the spiritual realm or, or just in charge of the angels or in charge of our souls. He is in charge of everything, physical, spiritual, and otherwise he is power and he is God over all. He is all-powerful and able to do what he wills to do. We don't control it with anything. We don't control it with our works or our service. We, we, do, not, uh, we do not control what God chooses. God cannot be bought. God cannot be bought with our actions, through our actions, through what I do for him. He is, he is not a, a for sale <laughs> His, his miracles are not for sale. We do not do things in hopes to earn his miracles. Do we place faith in him? Yes. Does that faith come out and, and, and he, he blesses that? Absolutely. But that is not us purchasing a, a get out of jail free card or a get out of sickness free card. That's not how it works. It is the acknowledgement of that power from the centurion that causes Jesus here to marvel. You see, the centurion understood what faith meant, trusting that Jesus Christ would do what he would say he would do. In verse 9, read this. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 7. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great, great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent 
returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Jesus marveling at someone's faith is actually a rare occurrence in the New Testament. It, it only, we only know of it happening twice. And both times, interestingly enough, were with Gentiles and not Jews. Jesus marveled um, at this situation and then marveled at the woman's faith, um, the woman with the might. And so we see this marveling of Jesus towards this faith in him and what he can do and the power that he has. God, you don't even need to come in under my roof. I trust that you can say it with, the, with your word. It can, it can be done. I don't need your physical touch to experience this healing for my servant. And, and that was a faith that was not found, as Jesus says, not even in Israel. And, and he had throngs, Jesus had throngs of people following him constantly, looking for the miracle, expecting the miracle, wanting the miracle. And oftentimes he turns to them and says, oh, ye of little faith. And yet this person desired the miracle, but didn't need Jesus to be there for it. He knew that Jesus had the power and the authority to cause it to happen just if he desired to. Faith in Christ is always appreciated by God. Always. It is what we see modeled to us by many people throughout history, uh, biblical history and early church and modern church, to be honest. And it's something we're still to have today. This idea of faith in Jesus Christ that pleases God. Now, we have to be careful that we don't turn that into name it and claim it or, or trying to to, well, I have faith, so again, therefore, God must do this. God is not under our control. We don't control what he does. Our faith doesn't control what he does. He appreciates our faith. He is blessed by our faith in him, and he blesses us through our faith in him. But it is not something that is required, or it does not require him to snap to and treat us a certain way. And that's where we get into a lot of trouble, is because we think that God well, I earned this. I gave you faith, therefore you give me this. And we're, we're, we're wrong in doing that because a true mature faith will look at God and say, God, I don't deserve this. That's what this man is saying here, this centurion. I, was not, I don't even count myself worthy for you to be under my roof. That's a mature faith. Not, hey, I expect this from you. I did this, now you give me that. that is, that's a childish faith. Because, because that's, that's a faith that expects God to jump when I tell him to jump. And I don't, have, I don't want that kind of a faith. I want the kind of faith that says, God, I'm not worthy for this, but I know that you are powerful enough to do it, and I would be blessed either way. Even if you choose to not save my servant or whatever it may be, even if you choose not to heal me, I am still going to glorify you. And that is the language that we see from the centurion here. Faith is the thing that we see from people who are often healed in the scripture. It is true that we see a lot of healing from faith, by faith, through faith in scripture. Just to give you a few examples, James uh, chapter 5 verse 15 uh, it says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Acts 3.16, By faith in his name has made this man strong. Um, Matthew 15, 28, Jesus is talking and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Matthew 8, 28 and 29, blind men uh, is a story of blind men having faith to be healed. And then Mark 10, 52, go your way. Your faith has made you well. There is definitely a link 
scripturally to having faith and being healed. I, again, we want to be careful that we don't have the name it and claim it. We are not faith healers, as it were. But we understand that having that faith is a good thing because we can look at Jesus Christ and we can say, God, I know that you can do this and I trust that you can do this. And either way, whether you do it or not, I will glorify your name. Paul prayed three times to be healed. And God's response to him was, my grace is sufficient. Meaning, I'm not going to heal you of that, whatever it was. And yet, Paul still glorified God, even in his ailment. And that would be the hope for all of us. But the list can go on and on about different things within Scripture that we see that faith in Christ can heal. Or at least, he can heal. And faith is what gets us to that point where he is blessed. That's impressive and encouraging. It's not what we, it's not what we do, but who we place our faith in. You see, it's not up to me to have enough faith. Like I am to have faith, but it's not, it's not under my power to have enough faith to be healed. I can just rest knowing that God is faithful, that I can have faith in him. And if he chooses to heal me, great. If he doesn't, that's okay because he's still amazing. And not only that, he's healed me of the sickness that is most detrimental to my health. And he's, he's healed anybody who's called on the name of Jesus from that sickness. You see, humanity, all of humanity has that sickness. It's called sin. And that sickness, it needs to be healed. It, needs, it has to be paid for or it has to be healed, one or the other. And, and Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is a need for a cure to this sickness. And that cure comes in the form of Jesus Christ. That cure of the sickness is Jesus Christ dying on the cross and raising again three days later. Now, the, the application of the cure is our faith that Christ is able to forgive us of our sins. That he is faithful to forgive us of our sins he is, as 1 John 1, 9, if we confess and believe, then he's faithful and just to forgive us. It's that idea of we place our faith in that death and resurrection of the cross. Turn to, turn to James chapter 5. This, this passage deals with physical healing, for sure. But I, but I want to point out this spiritual aspect of it as well. Chapter 5 of James, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of what? The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, this passage talks about that physical sickness, but it also addresses the confession of our sins and the forgiveness that we experience through that confession as well. We are to confess our sins one to another, and God and, and hopefully others <laughs> will forgive us. We, we are asked, or Nicodemus asks Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And, and I, I've had that question uh, multiple times um, asked to me. What must I do to be saved? It's pretty simple. We are to confess our sins 
We are to repent of our sins, meaning we, don't, we no longer practice those sins. And we are to believe in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And that will save us. That will cure us from the sickness. That will heal us. You see, you see where I'm going with this? It's the idea of having faith that Jesus actually did what he said he did, that the Bible is true, that we can follow its word and get to know God and his son. And when we have that faith, we will be saved. It's not about my works. It's not about what I've done for the church or how much I've sacrificed for Jesus. He's not impressed by any of that. He, he, he's, at, at best, I get, the, I get the pat on the back from other men. And, and that's, the Bible says, that's my reward then. And, and so he's not impressed by the works that I've done. It's the faith and by faith alone that we are saved. And the centurion here in this story in in Luke chapter 7 understood that. And because he understood that, Jesus marveled. I want to read just one last scripture. And we're just going to end with this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is not about what I do. It's about the faith that I have in Christ and what he did for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your work. We thank you that you've given us this ability to have faith. And I pray that we would place our faith in you, that we would be constantly looking to you to grow us, to change us, to make us new, and that we would that we would conform to your image, that we would look like you, that we would talk like you, that we would walk like you, that others might be saved, but Lord, also that we might enjoy a close relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for stories such as this centurion who showed great faith, and it was not a faith of works. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have that faith too. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.